Gardening Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. Hey, gardening friends, great to share another this Saturday morning with you. A second last show for the year, and yes, hasn't it flown? Certainly has. And with me today is Faye Akara, of course, and our studio guest, Linda Michener from Green Life Soil Co. And the garden team is ready. We have Bev Daring and John Glidden. The lines are open, 94841927. You may like to email us instead, curtain at Gardening at curtainfm.com.au. Gardening at curtainfm.com.au. And the dynamic duo Chris Bartlett and Mark Carlton always set a lively tone to the breakfast program along with our cycling DJ Jim Crinan. And Jim will be back at 10 a.m. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good How morning. goes it? Oh, buzzing, right? I think we are. Is it? Is it the weather? What is it? Bit of a... It- Yes, there is a change in the weather yet again. Change in the wind, yes. Well, it has been breezy, hasn't it? The easterlies yes. and then uh, swapped around for the sea breeze later in the afternoon. Yeah. A summer pattern. Definitely, yep. And Linda, it's lovely to have you back. I might get you to move across closer to Faye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> as, as, as we go, as we go along, tell us what's been going on in your world. What's happening at Green Life? Well, thank you for having us again. Uh, yeah. Well, spring uh, has finally arrived. Uh, obviously, we had a very gentle start to spring, which has been fabulous, mm. really. Mm. Uh, but the last couple of weeks with the hot R- temperatures, rude awakening. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The mulch is starting to fly out the door. So. Uh, yeah, is that yeah, so? Yes, that's yeah. right. Which, of course, is perfect. It's the time to get it on your gardens now. Yes. Yes. Mm. For sure. All right. And Daniel Veraschetti is going to be joining us later this morning in the studio uh, from Coast Road Palms. And we're talking all things tropical as well. What other subjects have you got lined up for everyone today? Well, who knows, Ray? What a, who knows <laughs> Where what the, program the will lead listeners us, exactly. are going to call in and ask us today. But I must say, gardens are buzzing out there. I don't know if you've seen them this week, but the blue banded bees He's are everywhere, out, isn't he? Out in force. Mm. The you know the the posts on Facebook. There's so many. Everybody's so excited. I know. <laughs> so we've ramped it up a bit. We've been posting photos. I encouraged everyone the other day to post their photo with the blue banded bee to get an idea of what flowers they're attracted to. And, and, and explain to listeners what's so special about him. Well, it's one of our native bees, mm. of which in Australia there might be around 2,000. Mm. There's around 800 in WA and less than that in our part of Western Australia. I found over 35 in my garden, different wow. varieties. Wow of which I have many photographs. Uh, but a lot of people don't know that we've got native bees. They go, oh, yeah, you know, they're out around all my plants. And often they're talking about the honeybees. But our native bees are, are specialist pollinators. The blue-banded bee not only comes from Australia but other countries and is therefore 
probably more a cosmopolitan plant selector. So it'll go to a range of plants. He does. Not just our natives. But they're mm. very important for pollinating our tomatoes, chilies, eggplants, capsicums. Because they're a buzz pollinator. Correct. Mm. And they're dead set cute, right? And you I know. think that's the other thing, isn't it? It's just that that brilliant, uh, to see a blue bee is, yeah, yes. it but, all in itself is, is fabulous. But not all blue-banded bees look blue, depending on their age or their their conditions or the light refraction. They may not appear blue. They may appear beige or a little bit greenish. They're quite small and they nest in the ground. But this week I've had three buzzing around my veranda. And I don't know about you, but I shuffle pots, I water, I move things. Mm. And even if I'm standing in their space, they'll come and go like right next to my (laughs) camera while I'm filming. (laughs) And I love it. So I've been down on my hands and knees and I've actually caught two in the sand at the base of my pergola stirrups. And I've sat there staking them out, hoping that that will be their their final nesting place and I can just get all this video footage over the coming months. I'm keen. I know you are. But because they're so small, you know, you you can't think that you'll see them. But when it's still and quiet, if I stand there, I can actually hear them. It sounds like a fly buzzing or something buzzing in the distance. So then you've got to engage not only your ears but your eyes and follow and then the minute you see them, they'll dart somewhere else. It's quite, quite a challenge, Ray, I have to tell you. But I'm on it. <laughs> She's a passionate She's hunter. on it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can see it. The garden with a uh, camera and it, chasing around yeah. the so once pith people, helmet on. <laughs> once people start getting into the sightings, they'll start to realise that there are others. They might see the mask bee, which has little yellow face patterns. Um, there are resin bees, there are leaf cutter bees. So that's mm. the next thing I'm going to be asking people to photograph the, their circle cutouts to see what plants the bees are choosing. Roses is a favourite. Yes. Hence, I don't spray my roses because mm. this can become the nesting material. And and the action's already happening. So mm. it's only a matter of time before I video that little character. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we have a $75 gift voucher to give away this morning, again from Kerry at uh, Picker Trees up there in Pickering Brook. You must be a Curtin FM member, not to won a prize in the last 28 days. We'll be doing that sometime this morning with one of John's special questions uh, that he uh, creates for us during the week. He's uh, very, very diligent and comes up with, not too hard, but perhaps you might need to jump on Google or something to get that answer. Oh, unless, of course, you already know. Some Many of our listeners uh, do not surprise us, actually. They do know. They uh, sure do. Now, Ray, email. we got an email from Nissa this week, and she I know. was the lucky recipient of one of the Bigger Trees vouchers. Yes. So she said, what a beautiful nursery, but she's also got some sad news. And you might remember, I think it was Christmas time last year, Nissa, who has a garden that I would describe as a habitat garden, yeah. witnessed a king skink giving birth to live young. Wow. And it it was the most beautiful story. She managed to get a couple of pictures. But they have found the king skink dead on the path um, recently. And she sent a photo 
She's not sure why. She, she didn't think it was snail baits, ticks or mites. She said it looked perfectly healthy and neither us or our neighbours use any sort of poisons. We also mm. noted that the rabbits have disappeared from the garden. Don't know if there's any connection. Well, I did a bit of looking around and it seems that king skinks may only live two or three years. So It's just the natural it, lifespan. It could be very natural. The good news is that there is another generation to come up. Now, I just don't know what I couldn't find was at what age they become reproductive when they're sexually mature enough to give birth. That may give us an indication whether it's very young or whether they're much older. But, yeah, sad, but uh, there was some good news there. It happens. Okay, mm. and you have another? Yes, we do. Now... Jeremiah sent us in a photo of a Hoya plant that looks very yellow, a little bit scarred. Uh, he says they enjoy our Saturday morning talk on radio and they have three Hoya plants in the ground. Over the last few months, lots of leaves have turned yellow and look like the plants are diseased. The, the three plants are flowering all right. Well, we did talk about Hoyas earlier this year and the thing about them is that epiphytes. They enjoy morning sun, but not full sun. So I suspect that this is part of the problem here. The location isn't quite right for them, but the soil type as well. Mm. They like an open mix and they would um, be happier perhaps in a pot around a patio where they get morning sun. They can be moved around to suit the conditions. So they might also be hungry mm. and a liquid fertiliser would help, but I would move them from here into pots you're looking for an epiphyte mix or an open mix, something like an orchid mix combined with a potting mix with a bit of perlite. So it's light and fluffy. The air can move through. They love hang baskets. Yeah, they do. And they'll trail down. Mm. So I hope that helps. Okay. 94841927. We're heading to Glen Forest talking about compost, one of my favourite subjects. Gary, good morning. Yeah, hi, how are you going? Good. Uh, look, just got a query on compost. I've never been had particularly great success making it. I've read books on it and all the mixes you can use. But one of the queries I have, I have end up with a lot of lawn clippings and often I don't use them straight away. Now, I know they're considered green because they're full of nitrogen and all that. But when they've aged for a while, they become a darker colour. Are they now considered brown for the compost mix? Have they leached out all the nitrogen or are they still fully rich with it? Yes, they... Well... At that time, of course, you can still add them to your compost. Now, are you using a tumbler or a bin system? I've tried the hot composting. I've never had any success because I just don't generate enough waste to actually stockpile it to the extent, even though I've got millions of leaves. They're mainly gum leaves, Mary leaves, and they're not particularly great at compost, although I do use them sometimes. I shred them in a lawnmower. Okay. Um, but, but mainly I've been using them in... I, I have a um, just a... A bin, and I once they've aged for a, with mix of kitchen waste for a couple of months, I pop them into a tumble compost. But what I get is a good mix, but it's I think it's actually closer to um, worm castings than anything else because it's usually just rich with worms. Okay, so that Which tells me good. that it's not actually getting hot. If you've got a tumbler, I can give you some tips for getting that to work. Certainly with your gum leaves or marry leaves. They will compost better if they're broken up or, like you said, uh, cut up with the lawnmower. But what I found yep. was the blower vac that would mulch 
was very effective because you can suck up the leaves and it mulches at the same time and puts them into a bag. So you yeah, could I used to have one of those. Yep. So you could stockpile those sorts of things uh, and layer them in your your tumbler. Yep. And then so that's that's your brown. Your long clippings, the day you use them, the day you collect them, they're hot green. and they're yep. moist. That makes your green. And so you build up these layers in the compost bin. When it's full, that's when you start turning it. So the day okay. that you, you mow your lawn and you put those green clippings in, you close it up because it's hot and it's moist and you start tumbling. Ten rotations every day for two weeks. Okay. And, and, at how, the end, and how long do you reckon it take to produce? Well, at the end of two weeks, you can turn it out. Now, just oh, check okay. in the meantime. If it's too dry, you can add more water. Of course, you can use a whole mix of things in there or anything that's organic you can put in there. We tend to put all our kitchen scraps in there, but um, I don't know, sometimes it ends up too moist. Well, that that's right. But if you've got the right balance of brown, that... Yep that will take up the moisture and also the finer you cut things. If you've got a worm farm then, Gary, even if it's not 100% broken down, you can always chuck that onto your worm farm and they'll further process it and yep. then you can use it that way. So okay. I hope that helps so, a little bit. No, it does a bit because it's actually a good way of doing it with a tumbler. I just still though wonder whether they, with the, with the lawn clippings, after they've gone brown, say they've been sitting out for, a, you know, three or four weeks, are they can still considered to be green or is all that nitrogen really leached out of them? As far as I've read, uh, they are still considered green. They're still considered green waste uh, to add. So, and, yeah. And same with deciduous leaves. Sometimes they come down. I've got a couple of deciduous trees. They rain green leaves at certain times of the year. But they really normally would be classified as brown, wouldn't they? Yet when they've still got the green in them, I guess they've still got a bit, they're a bit half and half. A little bit, but I think it's a little different with deciduous trees because the trees already have generally pulled back a lot of the nutrients into the main trunk before they choose to drop the leaves. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I think it's a oh, little okay. different with your grass because it's cut green, so it still contains the nitrogen. Just with a compost tumbler using the Mary leaves, do you, do you put roughly a third, um, two-thirds to the, of, of the leaves to the, green, to the lawn clippings as well? Well, it's it always that carbon-nitrogen nitrogen ratio that's the tricky thing. I, I, I read an article, it made me laugh. They talk about composting as one of the dark arts. <laughs> <laughs> because I think it really is as much magic as science, to be honest. And mm. the thing that I find tricky about it is you think you've, got, you've cracked it with a great batch, but, of course, as the seasons change and the temperature changes, the whole chemistry Dynamic, changes yeah. as well. So yeah. well, that's the well, frustration well, of it. Should you have the compost tumbler in full sun? What do you think, Faye? Oh, I, I wouldn't have in it in. Half half. I yeah. wouldn't put it in full sun. No, I would I put it in a part of the garden where <laughs> it's easy to access. Yes, uh, but a little bit of bit of shade. Because, full sun in winter, possibly, yeah. but not at yeah. this time of year. Because you don't really oh. want to cook all those organisms. No. No. No, and mine's full of worms. I don't want to cook them either. No. See, that's yeah. not. It's not getting hot enough if it's full of worms. No, I don't think it is. I, yeah. I, that's what I said. It's almost like a giant um, worm farm, the way mine works, because it's on the ground and then I put them in and the worms get into it from the ground yes. ash and then it goes into the tumbler. And I get them out before they die. It's and great stuff, but it's not compost. Yeah, no, th and that's a, a good 
another good way of breaking down your waste, which ultimately is what we're trying to do, yep. isn't it? Yeah, recycle it, it is, and close yeah. the loop. Mm. All right, that's great. Well, thank you very much. Okay, thank thanks, you. Gary. Good on you, Gary. Bye-bye. Okay, we have to have a short break. When we return, we're chatting with Julia about her jacaranda tree. Curtain Radio. 23 minutes after 8, you are tuned into Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain FM. We are going straight back out to the lines. Jacaranda trees, haven't they been absolutely stunning? Julia, good morning. Oh, good morning, everyone. Um, Yes, the jacaranda tree is my favourite. So six years ago, I planted one um, on my front front yard. But looking around, because there are a lot of them around, um, some of them are so thick with big blooms, you know, they're just stunning. And mine <laughs> has blooms, but not not thick like that. And there are younger ones in the street that are thick bloomed. So what's happening? What what do they need to to be able to react that way? Well, Julia, I would still consider yours a young tree, and I think you're fortunate that it has bloomed because it, I would have thought your question might be, why hasn't it bloomed? It's mm. been in the ground six years or whatever. Um, oh, gosh, they they vary so much. I mean, we've talked recently about trees planted next to each other. Some have leafed up, some haven't. Some have changed colour, some haven't. You know, mm. what have they got their roots into? It's not just what you've planted it into because that's probably long gone now. It's it's about the water table. It's about uh, nutrients that it's got access to, uh, the temperatures or the microclimate. There are so many factors. Is it in a lawn or is it in a garden bed with other things around it? Uh, it's just inside the fence. So it's uh, it. We have a paved front yard, and then of course then there's the pavement the other side. So, yeah, it's, um, but we do have a bore, so it gets enough water. But, um, you know, there's others in the street where they, you know, there's the road and then there's the pavement, so they get no lawn. And they're looking amazing. Mm. Uh, I, Well, from what you've said in those conditions, it, it's got the temperature coming from the top affecting it, which probably is also a, a little bit of a moisture barrier and, so yeah, definitely temperature as compared to if there were lawns around it mm. and, you know, nutrients. So what do you do that it's got access to? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't really do anything. So is it supposed to be fed then? Well, you you can, but they, of course, survive without anything. If it was in part of a garden or a few metres from a garden, its roots would get out there and they would get anything that, that a, a gardener would put on their garden. You can add, well, for trees, established trees, a complete fertiliser. And I would right. do that sort of in the springtime or or when the tree gets active again. Uh, not when it's dormant, but also mm. mulch will be another helpful thing to do. H- how big actually is the tree? Um, 
Two metres or? Oh, no, it's much bigger than that. Four metres? Four metres, yeah. Okay, all right. So generally we, we feed around the drip zone. So the outer edge of the canopy is where you would give it some, I would use controlled release fertiliser and if possible um, mulch out to at least that area. Yeah, but I can't, you see, because um, I've got paved area. Yeah, okay. And then the other side is the pavement. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a tricky environment for the tree. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's not kind of a a natural thing. I've got a strip across, um, you know, just this side before the pavers uh, with some um, plants in, and they do fine. but that's all I've got yeah, for it, yeah. Yeah, that's fine, Julia. I mean, the fact that it's it's surviving is one thing. Anything else you can do on top of that would be a bonus. Right. I'll see what I can do then. But okay, thank you. thank you. I was wondering if there were two strains of jacarandas and I'd got the wrong thought. But anyway, we'll do that. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thanks, Julia. Bye. Thank you, bye. Because you can't imagine the jacarandas that are on uh, tree verges. You know, we have quite a few in my burb, mm. actually. I don't think they get a great deal of attention. No, but if they're in yeah. a verge, yeah. they've got a cooler root run yeah, definitely. and they'll probably get lawn fertiliser and they mm. will get water. Mm. Very different to having your roots covered with paving. paving. Yes, exactly. So, yep. th- yeah, it's... It makes that was, sense. That was the that, key component when she mentioned yeah, that, I know. And how close it is up to the tree. All right, we're in Willerton. We're talking about petunias. Connie, good morning. Oh, good morning, girls. Hello. Um, love the show. Hello. Thank you. Uh, um, I have got a problem with my petunias. Um, they've been eaten before they, they come out. Well, they come out, but even the actual flowers, they're just tromped away. Mm. I've tried, I've done snail pellets, but there's no snail because I've put, um, in the morning and there's no silver line around the place. I've gone okay. out at night with a torch, um, on a couple of, um, night evenings and I've not been able to see anything except the only thing I can see there buggers is large black ants. Mm. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I've made my own concoction, the one with the um, detergent and water and a little bit of oil and sprayed them with that. Um, and they're just looking very poor. Um, mm. They're not, yeah. Are they in the ground or in a pot, Connie? Well, they're in a raised like raised garden bed near our pool. Um, I've got the same, at the same time, I planted some in a, um, a planter um, a letterbox planter box, and they are doing beautifully, and they're all flowered and bloomed mm. and gorgeous. In another part, this is the front of the house, but the ones that are suffering are at the back of the, in another section of our okay. property. Well, some of the other pests that I can think of are weevils, which are fairly active at certain times of the year, and they're quite tiny. Uh, katydids, which are the big grasshoppers, and also... Uh, caterpillars and they might be hiding down in the ground and only coming out at night so uh, using a deterrent yeah that was that's a good thing uh, Connie have you been out at night with a torch to have a look yes yes and, I have and twice, um, on two evenings I've been out um, in the dark one was just like twilight you know when it was and then another time was when it was full dark yeah and I've 
and I'm not, and I can't see anything. And you've so looked underneath the foliage and all through the centre of where the plants are growing from. All around, yeah. Yeah, and and is it ju- is it the foliage or the flowers that's being eaten, or no, both? The flowers. The flowers. The flowers. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so I yeah. would remove any of the ones that are partly eaten, and I would keep going back at night and monitoring the new growth, but. Uh, also, using a deterrent, something that uh, changes the environment. So, well, diatomaceous earth is one thing that can inhibit yeah, them. Yeah, insects don't like coming into contact with that at all, that's for sure. So the growth of the plants is healthy. It's the insect attack that's the main problem. Yeah, they're looking, well, um, it's a little bit of yellowy. Yeah, they're not really, no, not very green. I've put some liquid, some fertiliser, some sea salt, some fertiliser. I'm just really trying really hard. Okay. The other thing you can use, uh, chilli and bug spray and yeah, eco, eco oil. I'm wondering if rats would yeah. eat the flowers. Well, it's funny you mm. should say that because that thought crossed my mind, um, rats. Um, I did put some rat sack around. Oh, um, a couple of nights ago. So, um, well, maybe because that did cross my mind as well. Well, and Shirley, Shirley has also said she's just rung in from Meadow Springs, and she's seen the crows eating her petunias. Interesting crows. Uh, yeah, huh. crows. But I think they're ravens because yeah, yes, Eric yeah. McCrum says we don't have crows here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, they've, eaten ro- they've eaten roses at one of my relative place. They've eaten the, the crows, eaten the roses. The rose petals, the rose. <laughs> oh my oh, goodness! A lot right, of things well, eat flowers. You're going to have to keep up the vigilance, Connie, and let us know how you get on. Can I tell you a short well, story about petunias? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it might be applicable in your situation, Connie. But years ago, now before I got married, I sort of was trying to have a white floral theme, and my sister, bless her heart grew white petunias in the lead up to the wedding so there would be some pots of petunias to put outside the church. Uh They were doing really, really well until one morning she got out and found a neighbour's rabbit in her backyard that ate all the white flowering petunias. (laughs) And they were for your wedding. (laughs) They were, yes, indeed. So so unless you've got a friendly rabbit, Connie, that might be part of the problem. Well, you'd see it popping around, wouldn't (laughs) you? Well, they eat the petunia flowers. I can tell you from experience. They they eat a lot more than that, I can tell you from experience. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No, thank you. Um, I just thought that would be something different because it's never happened before and... um, yeah, I thought it's it's just something that's really got me baffled. Yes, yes. Actually, I'll, I'll continue on feeding and trying to not let them totally die and get more flowers or something. It reminds me of a gentleman that called us a couple of years ago and something was eating things in his veggie patch. He contacted us later in the day after we'd had our chat and it turned out it was his dog. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> mm, there you go. All right. Thanks, okay. Connie. Thanks, Connie. Thank you. Have a lovely day. Bye. 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 And oh, and uh, we are speaking to Shirley from Meadow Springs now um, about frangipanis. Hi, Shirley. How are you going? Um, hi. Good morning. Lovely to talk to you ladies. Um, the frangipani, my daughter was given a huge branch, almost a metre and a half tall. Uh, it's and it's it's full of branches and it's got all the the little leaves that are just beginning to come out, but it is just so big. Uh, can I cut them now? 
Yes, you can. Smaller pieces and then must I leave them to dry a little bit? That is a good idea, Shirley. So cut them up into smaller pieces, let them dry off for a week or two and then pop them into the ground and start watering them when they get leaves. Okay, great. And and the soil condition, can I just use compost with a bit of manure? Do I have to use a particular potting um, as a soil? It says well, it's be there, there are other ways of doing this too. I know when we had uh, Ben here, he was talking about how you could take a, a piece of French penny and wrap sphagnum moss around it and wrap glad wrap around it and when right. it develops develops roots that you can see, then you pot it. So you you could do it that way with your compost. Yeah, oh, okay. I, I wouldn't plant directly into compost though. You're better off, from my understanding, to use a, a, a coarser, free draining type mix because you don't want the cutting to sit in too much moisture because the end will just rot away. Okay, so to use it and make it free draining. Do I sort of get river sand, uh, sand to put in with the compost? Well, a, a quality potting mix, yeah. commercial quality potting mix that you buy is mm. probably one of the best, the best ways to do it because it's designed for this sort of purpose. Otherwise, okay. you could just pop it into a part of your garden. Okay. okay. Thank you very much. That's lovely. And another query, quick question. What do I feed my pawpaw tree? Oh, you can give it anything and everything in moderation. So at at certain times of the year, I would use uh, like a palletized chicken manure, but I wouldn't do that in hot weather because you'll encourage flies. You can use compost. You can use, um, definitely use a mulch as well. You can use manures, complete fertilizer, liquids, Yeah, a good slow release a couple of times a year. The general rule is to fertilise little but more often rather than a couple of big dumps of fertiliser once or twice a year with fruiting trees. So, yeah, especially when they're, um, you know, coming into their active growth times, they are reasonably hungry trees. And as Faye said, mulching is really important to protect the soil. Okay, great, great. Now, can I just give you one quick head scratch? We've we've got other... Uh, calls okay. to get to Shirley, okay, and and All emails. Right. Sorry, okay. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Have a Thank great day. Much. Cheers for that. You too. Thank you. Bye. And Lee from Claremont. She was after the nursery uh, that she thinks is attached to the open garden you visited up in Beverly, the Lake House. It nursery. is called Lake House Nursery. Mm-hmm. Um, there are. We'll come back with more details on that contact details or a website. Hmm. Uh, it's Lena Elliott that you're looking for, Lee. Okay. And we've received some emails too. Maureen has sent us in a photo of her lemon tree and it's a close-up of a swelling, which is part of the branch. And this, unfortunately, Maureen, is the citrus gall wasp. Now... We did talk about this a lot earlier in the year. We were asking people to monitor their their growth, Mm. look for swellings on the stem. And by the 30th of June, the idea was to cut all these out and um, mulch them or destroy them. So probably what has happened now, Maureen, is the citrus gall wasp has developed inside the stem. And if you look closely, you will probably see little holes where it's hatched out. What 
you need to do is get uh, sharp sectors and cut this off the stem and either shred or cut it up and bag it, leave it in the sun for two weeks to destroy it just in case there's anything left in there. But from now on, you need to keep monitoring this tree for signs of swelling because the the wasps have been active mm. and they will develop over time. It must be cut out. This is a, a terrible pest. It inhibits uh, growth of trees by interrupting the, the flow of nutrients through the stem and will affect the fruit and all the other trees in your area. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty bad. I wonder bad what one. area she's in, actually. Does it say? No, it doesn't seem to okay. say. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Ahoy, green thumbs. <laughs> Ahoy. Ahoy, <laughs> I have three Louis Van Houten golden elms located in Beldivis, which I planted 10 years ago. They're basically a tall, skinny trunk with stuff or foliage. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, me hearties, that's not good. Uh, I planted one in Canberra in 1998 and it took off. Too hot or sandy in Perth, they get plenty of water and blood and bone, etc. Well, thanks, Leo. That was a great email. Um, Yes, I think they're probably a a colder climate uh, and they're just telling you they ain't that happy where they are. Mm. Well, yes, uh, compost, mulch, protect them from strong winds, uh, create a microclimate if you can. This really is the key to gardening in Perth and I'm sure we're going to talk about that a lot more in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. Okay, 94841927. You are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening. Special guests in the studio with me this morning, we have Linda Michener from Green Life Soil Co. And just joining us from Coast Road Palms, Daniel Verischetti, thank you for trekking in, young man. No worries it's at all. It's been a while since we've seen you. has been a little while, hasn't it? What's been happening at Coast Road Palms? Uh, potting, potting and potting. potting. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's been our life for the last few months. So, yeah? yeah? Yeah, we had a bit of a slow start with the cold weather hanging around yeah, a lot longer. Yeah, for sure. So we've just had to jam everything in just before this Christmas rush now, trying to get everything done. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's definitely been, um, it was a slow start, but now we're full on. So, yeah. Definitely. And do you expect things to be crazy over Christmas? I don't know. I just it's hard to pick. Just yeah, just get everything ready for the for the year ahead. Really, yeah. just got to get everything down now so it gets rooted up healthy. Mm. So is now the really busy time for propagating? Now it's go you? time. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You got to get everything done now as much as you can with tropicals while we've got the warm weather oh. on now, our side. Can you tell us quickly about the costas because? Yep. I have a couple. I've given a few away. Yeah. And some of the plants are starting to flower. Others are going a bit daggy. Yeah. So the costas, this, the winter was a lot longer and a lot harder than normal. Yeah. So whatever we're used to is a bit out the window. Um, some are flowering now, or they should be starting to flower now. Anything that's a bit daggy on the costas, well, it could be just old flowering stems which should be removed anyway, or it's just... Winter was just too hard on it. Mm. It's as simple as that. There should be new shoots forming now. At the, yes. At the well, I've, what I've done with the ones to tidy up the plants that weren't looking so good, I've cut them down to ground level yep. and put them, stuck them into new pots. Yeah, that's the way to go now. Anything that's looking too ratty, um, cut it down. If it's looking just a little bit ratty, don't be too quick to cut it down because you may lose your flowering stems. That's about the only bad point about doing it now. 
But this is coming up pretty quick now, so they should flower some of them in the first year. And is now the time to liquid feed them? or Yeah, you should be feeding yeah. now, for sure. Yeah, feed them now. Um, liquid, granular, you know, complete type fertilizers. That's what you should be using now. And is that for all of the, the ginger yep. type plants? Everything that we do, pretty much all, all tropicals now. It's warm. So it's your so, feeding time now as well? Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't done it already, you, you're a bit behind, so you should be onto it now. Well, if I've done it once should i just do a little bit more we're now? getting close to christmas so yeah i normally i normally say for people that don't really want to get too hard into it it's just to do it just come out of winter just when you start feeling like putting your shorts on sort of weather <laughs> and then and then you normally go again around christmas time and then just as you know just try to do it just okay. before the winter periods that's how i normally work that's for the people who don't really want to follow a real strict plan you know what i mean well i must say i don't use a lot of product on my garden yeah. so it, it all had a little bit in spring but yeah. you know like i want Better, bigger, better flowers. Yeah, so. it'd be coming up for another like a hit now. Even you know, less more often. Sometimes they say that's normally the way to go with it. That's normally it. As long as you do it three times a year, not not much point doing the middle of winter when no. you've forgotten about it and then do it then. So that's a real waste. But yeah. And what I always like to know is what new things have you got coming up? What's exciting? What's new? Oh, we've been so busy just getting the generics going. Mm. But there is some new stuff coming through, but. I'm not too sure where we're at with some of it because <laughs> right. the winter was so harsh. It's it has sent some it's, things a bit it's, worse yeah. than normal. So what was trialing really really well, some have gone a little bit more tattery than what we expect to. Some so something hasn't even hit prop yet. So we're mm. still waiting. So yeah, whereas most of the prop will be coming up to finished around Christmas. There'll okay. be some stuff that won't get done to January. Keep an eye on your Facebook page then. Yeah, there will be. I notice that you often have all the, all of yeah good... the new stuff. Yeah, on there. yeah, exactly. there will be some new stuff. That's for sure. Uh, we just got to see what numbers we get. That's what we're waiting Fair for. Fair enough. That's the problem with old school propagation. Got to build up stock levels before you can release anything. Talk so. about it. Yeah, understood. Yeah. So, Daniel, I, I was wondering if people are, are starting out with new gardens now, which we're all trying to be a bit more sustainable, make the most of what we've got. If you wanted a tropical style garden, yep. how would you go about it? Well, you've got to get your layering in. And, and you've got to be patient. Like, there's no point. Really? Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> Everyone just, everyone's just always in a rush. You really mm. need to get your, your layering-type plants in. The more layering you get, the more shade you get on the ground, the more easier it gets, you know. Um, a lot of people just want to get all the heliconias in and gingers in today. It ain't happening if you're just starting out, especially with that, you know, monument culbon fence anyone's got and they're paving up to it. It's such harsh conditions for it. I don't care what sort of plant it is. It's just harsh. Yes. And people forget that. And... If anyone's planning on building a garden bed, make it bigger. Like it's just yes. the, the the trend is to go smaller and smaller these garden beds, and it's definitely a problem that we're encountering a lot. And people go, "I want this," but we really can't do that without more space, you know. And it is a big problem because it's just paving and then monument fence, pretty much. It's really hard to deal with that, and that's that's hard to look after the plants as well. So, what are some fast growing canopy plants? Well, in the palm world. We, mm. we normally run with golden canes and, you know, foxtails. They're not super quick, but they're quick enough to get the job done. But you normally got to get them in, get them settled, and then you move on to the next layer, and then you move on to the next layer. But like I say, too many people... And, and of course, soil prep. If the soil's not done right... Thank you. Yeah, I was soil, hanging out I know, you could see that. you're looking there. <laughs> if, if the soil's not done right, it ain't going to grow. So exactly. if you're just in the bassinine sands, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, our property's on that. Um, and you can see what we've done. Yeah. So you just need to build the soil up. So you just need to get that ready to go. And obviously that's going to include less watering. 
and then we'll you know get further along you know quicker let's talk about the soil the grassroots <laughs> of it all it's where everything starts really it is mm. and we know how important soil is how can we save water by improving the soil well it is really important to get the soil structure right. I mean, the sandy soils that we were just talking about just haven't got the ability to hold on to anything. Water will either sit on top or flood straight through, mm. um, and it's the same with nutrients. So uh, they estimate that in some cases 60% of the fertiliser that people throw on lawns ends up in the waterways, and yeah. that's where it's a huge problem for the environment. So mm. really it's, it's building the soil uh, which starts with changing the structure and trying to make it less sandy and more loamy, which means incorporating some kind of clay product and other beneficial minerals. Um, there's the biochars, there's, uh, there's the new sort of amorphous silica kind of products that are out there now on the market. There's a number of different minerals which really help to improve that structure. And then you think about adding your organics, your, some of your aged composts and aged manures and things. And, and that once you've got the structure right, then the soil can hold on to those nutrients and your composts and things will last longer. So you're saving money, the plant health will be sustained for longer and it all starts there. And once you've got the, the nutrients right and you've got the moisture in the soil, then the microbial activity really starts to kick in, which then benefits the plants. And you've got this beautiful loop of sustainability happening in the soil and you throw some mulch on top to protect it. Yeah. 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 So, so you're absolutely correct. You've got to kind of start with the soil before you put in all those beautiful, beautiful plants if you want them to thrive. And so once your plants are growing and... The palms, many of them are self-shedding. Yeah, we only push people to go that direction these days. Oh, okay. We will go to a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about that in a minute. Curtain Radio. You're listening to Let's Talk Gardening this morning. Special guests in the studio, Linda Michener from Green Life Soil Co. and Daniel Verichetti from Coast Road Palms. So... What a what a what a compliment of experts. Yes, Faye. Absolutely. I just want to say for Lee of Claremont, details for Lake House Nursery. Um, I have an email address and a phone number here. Nursery visits are by by appointment only, and the address is out in Beverly. The phone number is four eight seven or zero four eight seven four double seven nine seven five, and it's Lena. Dot Elliot at bigpond.com and that's double L. Okay. All right, we've got the news coming up at 9am as well. We're in Queen's Park. Good morning, Karen. How are you? Good morning. Yes, I'm, I'm pretty okay. Uh, I've been listening to, to the soil improvement uh, business. I just can't do anything with my soils because I have got so many roots. And there's no chance I can dig anything whatsoever into the soil. I've tried, and as soon as I try just a little bit, all the roots, I pull all the roots out. I can't. I can't dig anything into the soil. So what the heck am I going to do to improve okay. it? We are saying we have got to sand the soil. And I mean, uh, uh, I try to put some soil improver on top, but I just can't dig it in. Okay, Karen, that's fine. Your Your garden is probably very established, and what is in there is surviving. So the plants are looking after themselves. So what happens after a period of time, they create their own microclimate. So certain plants might be deciduous and they will drop leaves 
and that will break down naturally. This happens in all forest systems. Um, maybe you don't need to further improve your soil by adding things to it because it's happening naturally. Uh-huh. Oh, good, then I don't have to feel guilty because sometimes I think I should put something into no, it and I don't no. put some fertilizer on top of it and mulch. But it's just, uh, I always think maybe I should dig something into it. I can't. No, that's no. okay. You, your plants can talk to you. You can tell if they're happy. I know last week we talked about a cycad cardboard plant that you have in your garden. Yeah, that's um, right. I was going to send you a photograph that you can see how, how dense it is. It so looks like a jungle. In, in older gardens, they start to look after themselves. Mm. So all you have okay. to do is go in there, tizzy up your plants, do a little cut back, maybe trim here and there. If something looks a bit hungry, uh, you might just drop in a little bit of mulch around its base, throw in some mm -hmm. slow-release fertiliser, make sure the water's working and sit back and enjoy it. Okay, good, great. I don't have to feel guilty. That's great. <laughs> no. Okay, thanks. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Cheers. Lovely. Thanks, Thank thanks, okay, Karen. Thanks. Okay, good. Bye. 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 And we do have free lines, 94841927. Now, how would you like to go shopping? Would you like to go shopping? Oh, fame? always. <laughs> in a nursery, of course. Yeah, All right. We have a $75 gift voucher up for grabs from Bigger Trees in Pickering Brook. And uh, I was talking to Kerry this week and she's had uh, great deliveries of uh, luscious indoor plants and a lot more fruit trees and also advanced hibiscus trees currently up there to go and have a look at. So they have a great Facebook page and website. Have a, have a little Google and look for yourself, Bigger Trees up in Pickering Brook. Now here is our question. Not to have won a prize in the last 28 days, and it must be a Curtin FM member. <coughs> Excuse my voice. Which plant is used to flavour ouzo? Which <laughs> plant is used to flavour ouzo? 94841927. If you'd like 75 gift voucher to go shopping before Christmas even. Okay. Sounds lovely. Mm -hmm. Now, Daniel, I, I mentioned before the break about self-cleaning palms. Yeah. So they're definitely the way that we go these days. The day of the cocos palms and all that are out the window. Thank yeah. God. Um, they're very good. Cocos, and they've got their place in certain environments, not in your small backyard. No. So, yeah. So these days, I said, the golden canes and the foxtails, the bangalows, the alexanders, all them are self-shedding. Um, they do minimal seed drop, or if they do throw seeds, they do throw out the lower part. So hopefully removing them is a much easier task than like a cocos that throws out near the, mm, in the crown, spikes. which is really hard to get them out, especially from the ground. Um, and that's normally the way you go to get your layering up. You know, they're, they're, the, they're the easier, more suited palms. And of course, when those palm fronds drop, they're very easy to clean up. Yeah. And then you turn yours into mulch. We mulch yeah. all our palm material. Like a lot of people say oh, it can't be done. We mulch all those acres of palm material up and it's quite, it breaks down quite well. And do you add anything to it? It all depends on what scenario it's in. If, you, if we're mulching under our canopy and put on the floor with our birds and everything turning it, it drops quite easily. I don't add nothing. Oh, what birds have you got? The guinea fowl and ah. the, and the um, oh. peacocks. So just with them turning through, <laughs> trying to get their goodies out of it, that they will they turn it enough of them reticulation on and stuff. It will make it drop anyway. And like this is what we're saying: established gardens have their own micro type environment type things going on, so you don't really need to be riding it 
all the way through. But yeah. obviously, you know, different scenarios. You know, some people with palm fronds will just chop it all up into small bits and throw in their compost pile. Nothing wrong with doing that if you only got a few palms. And if you've got a lot of palms, you know, we we use certain types of chippers that, you know, mulch them up perfectly. So, yeah. Chop and drop. Mm. I like it. You can Definitely. do that as well. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. A lot of people do do that. I've got a lot of customers that will quite happily stand there chopping it all up and drop it on the floor. Well, that's, only little that's how it works, yeah, isn't it? And it breaks fine. down. And, and I know a lot of people are worried about adding green product to their garden, worried about nitrogen drawdown. But if you've always mulched your garden, you're actually not uh, creating that effect because you're putting the greener product on top of the brown. Yeah. And there's an interface there right. that keeps yep. the, the root zone... Cool. Yeah, it's, it's but, yeah, different adding, to getting a whole green tree and getting it from the tree lob and dropping it straight on top of the ground. It's different to chopping a few green palm, palm leaves on top of your already established garden. Mm. It's definitely a big difference. I like the idea of birds in the garden. You know, yeah. pe- people in small gardens could have quail. Yeah, there's lots of different like birds that can be used. Obviously, you know, this day and age, people get a bit funny about this sort of stuff in you know in a normal suburban backyard. But they're definitely a lot of those birds that are on the ground do do a really good job. Mm. of you know maintaining stuff and not to mention like for us sliders are almost non-existent in an environment where they should be yeah. prolific yeah. and then things like snails we've got hardly no snails it's great yeah the, it, randomly you'll get the few that get through but it's mm. only you can count them on your hands it's not mm. like you've got plagues all right now we do have a winner to our giveaway we do have a winner guys so uh, i'll give you the details after the nine o'clock news here we go Sunny today, heading for a maximum of 33. Right now, it's 23.1 degrees. And tomorrow, the maximum will be 33. It'll be sunny. And also on Monday, sunny with a maximum of 32. So summer has definitely arrived. And I'm looking down later in a week, I think Thursday. Tuesday's got 35 sitting on it. And I'm pretty sure Thursday's going to be a warm as well. So a warm week ahead of us. And uh, yeah, we need to be get vigilant quickly uh, because I as I was saying last week the temperatures tend to jump don't they from a couple of weeks ago we don't have the luxury of increasing gradually we just go up by 10 or 15 degrees overnight (laughs) welcome to Perth yes well summer's here folks so absolutely yeah so we hit summer this week didn't we we certainly did that's right we certainly did and Bobby is our winner of the $75 gift voucher from Bigger Trees good on you Bobby that'll be in the mail to you this week and the question was which plant is used to flavour ouzo? And, of course, the answer is anise. Okay, so well done with that. And Annette of Bayswater has a blue-banded native bee visiting her garden. How can she enhance the visits? Anything more she can do? <laughs> yes, well, there's a lot that we can do. I've been on this path for some years now, and I've planted three sides of my house with plants that attract blue banded bees so going round from the entrance to the back patio we have lavender and salvia we have well and different types of salvia too we have buddleias we have agapanthus and jacaranda Uh, the lipstick salvia is a hot favorite Mm. there are dianellas which are native and and that's just for starters. And dogbane has been very popular. But Annette, if you are on Facebook, I actually did a post on the WA Gardeners page. I think there's about 80 contributors now that have posted their photos with the blue banded bee. Yeah. Hibertia scandens is a plant 
that I've got growing along the verge. So it takes no additional watering. It survives succulent green leaves, big yellow flowers that shrink when the weather gets warmer. There is always a blue-banded bee buzzing around there, if not three, mm. and and other native bees as well. Great. Butterflies will come to that plant and homolictus bees just for starters. Hope so that helps There are you many. <laughs> yeah, okay. And the free lines, 94841927. Okay, did you want to talk about growing healthy vegetables, fruit and herbs as part of Linda's... Absolutely. Or what's happening now in the nursery? What are people yeah. looking for, Linda? What's, what's trending? What, besides mulch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yes. yeah. Well, I guess it's still time because it's been a tricky thing. And like you said, the seasons kind of just start so quickly. I know. Because six weeks ago, people were coming in looking for vegetable seedlings. And, and we get them grown for us by um, a, a lovely lady. And they're, they're organic little seedlings. They're not sort of forced in a hothouse. So Fabulous. They're, they're seasonal, true seasonal veggies. But Gosh. the problem with that is people look for them when, of course, it's it's still a little early for them to be at a saleable size. Mm. So uh, they are now coming on strong because, of course, people, they do take a little while to get mm. to that stage. So all your summer veggies are things like your pumpkins, your cucumbers, your eggplant, your tomatoes, your chilies, corn, uh, capsicum, uh, where else? Um, Eggplant. Yes, yeah, those kind of things. And, and it's, there's still time to get them in the garden, but if you are just putting in seedlings now, you do need to be very protective of them because if exactly. we... Exactly. Seeing, seeing it on Facebook a lot where people have just recently put in seedlings and they're, they're saying, oh, what's wrong with them? And the poor things are shriveled and, yep. and because they've been transplanted into a, a sunny spot in the garden and they haven't got established roots. Exactly. They just can't cope with the heat. Exactly. So you do need to make sure that you put a bit of shade protection over mm. them to get them going. Um, hand water at least initially. Obviously, always check the soil. Don't overdo it, but just make sure that you are providing adequate moisture and once they get a couple of true leaves on them definitely make sure you put some mulch down pronto to protect them yeah. so it's not too late to get summer veggies in but you do want to get get a move get on cracking yeah. okay. so what sort of micro environment can you can you create for for summer vegetables well Extra shade cloth over yes, the veggie patch. Yes, you can create a permanent shade structure. Um, mm. You know, a lot of people are looking at doing that, and it's not a bad idea to have at least a frame that you can put something up in summer and then just take the shade cloth down exactly. in winter. So you've got yeah. the best of both worlds because in winter, the veggies that we plant then need you know at least six hours full of sun. If, you know, so it's the conditions are, are right for full sun in winter. Um, but at worst case scenario, if you can't do that, then even just an umbrella or something, you know, I've gone and got an old sheet out of the cupboard and it's going to be 40 degrees, but just provide a little bit of, of shelter somehow. And uh, doing it with, uh, it, this is where it's a balance with your veggies because we were talking before about the tropicals creating that layering and that is fabulous for most parts of the garden but with your veggies of course root competition is an issue and we do see that a bit when people have got veggie gardens and and the, as the other lady called in she was saying that the, the ground is thick with roots yeah and of course if you're lavishing your veggie garden with lots of 
good nutrients and regular water, then plants from everywhere else are coming in looking for that. So mm. that's where it can be a little tricky. So uh, a raised bed, even they will come up through into a raised bed. We've definitely mm. seen that. So some kind of root barrier material yeah, is, is a good one. Mm-hmm. The frame's a good idea. And, and even, as you say, a temporary cover like a sheet is perfect. But if you're planting pumpkins, of course, you can grow a pumpkin up over a frame Absolutely. to protect the the plants underneath and it will create that dappled effect. Yeah. So they've got a chance to establish and some yeah. protection. And then of course your pumpkins will hang down, they'll be easy to pick. You can do the same with cucumbers. That's right. I mean there's or the, squashes. The three sisters gardening method, which apparently the American Indian uh, people used to follow was corn, beans and something like a squash, squash or a pumpkin. Mm. Because the corn will provide the framework for the beans to grow up and the pumpkins will provide like a, a living mulch and protection. So Fabulous, again, clever as well. Exactly. Mm. And you're getting three different crops out of the same mm. soil mm. space. Mm. And so those kind of things, that little clever thinking it goes a long way. Mm. Which is really back to the layering kind of system we were talking about with the tropicals. For sure, yep. Okay. All right, let's head to Huntingdale. Good morning to Cliff. Hi, guys. How are you going? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, can't complain. Thank you very much. Um, I've got a big crop of passion fruit, um, big and green, just keep falling off the vine. Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, so... I'm wondering, is it getting enough water, Cliff? Oh, yeah, bore and everything, yeah. Got, yeah, it's unbelievable, yeah. All the water in the world. Is it mulched? Uh, no, no, it's just, well, I've got it in the ground. I've had no problems for the last couple of years. This year it's just, it's just getting so big and falling off the, the vine, that's not even turning right. Oh, wow. What variety of passion fruit is it? Well, now that's... I I guess a couple of things there could could be the fact that there's too many fruit and the plant can't support it. It could right. be the sudden hot weather uh, that's right. caused the drop. It can be the wind because we've had we've had a bit of wind yeah. too. Yeah, so all of those factors. Yeah. Um, right. So you can make a bit of a difference by mulching it because that will help protect the temperature in the root zone. Yep. And if your soil is sandy, once again, getting the the moisture to stay there. I know you said it's getting lots of water, but, you know, they they do need a lot to hang on to their fruit to cope with these changes. So that that soil zone, making sure that it's not fluctuating, making okay. sure that it's the root zone's improved and it's got a cooler run than it would have otherwise. Okay. Mm. I think, yeah, well, it'll suit me. I just bought a lot of ice cream. I bought all that passion fruit and ice cream, but at the moment I'm having ice cream and no passion fruit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, ho- hopefully it'll hang on to some to ripen <laughs> and trace elements might be another thing. So it okay. comes, comes back to if people are following... What we say every year when we talk about feeding your plants, giving them a controlled release fertiliser at, at yep. the time when they're kicking off, potassium yep. at first signs of flowering can be helpful. All right, yeah. But, all right. Yes, yeah. It's only just this year. That's all the last couple of years have been, well, last year, that many of us have given them away. But this year I can't give them away because it's all on the ground. Mm, well, hopefully it will change. All right. Yeah. 
Thanks, you Cliff. Thanks, Cliff. He's a funny man needing his passion fruit with his ice cream. Good, oh, good I on him. I totally understand. Yes, exactly. Uh, good morning to Jess. How's it going? Oh, hi. Good morning. Look, I was just uh, telling the last on the exchange there that last night I came onto a show called Australian's Big Backyards. I don't know whether either of you might have seen it or not. It was on 72 last night at 930 Oh, I missed that. Yeah, no. Oh, well, you missed something if you can track it down again. It was unbelievable. It's around about somewhere in New South Wales and all this area. They grow anything in very big areas, you know, that sort of thing. There's pumpkins over a whole big area. All the shapes in the world and the colours in the world and all this different new fruit that's coming out, you know, that one that comes off the cactus and it's red. Yes. Oh, absolutely beautiful. But in the rose section... You could not believe the colours that they got in there now. You know, there's yellow and purple and oh, it was just everything. And then they finished up with a jacaranda festival. But the jacarandas that were planted about 50 years ago and things like that, apparently were American jacarandas. But they come up and they have great big bulbs of flowers, you know, hanging over and grow into a not an ugly tree but a rather spread out tree and different to our jacarandas stems here but the display of them in that area is unbelievable people travel from everywhere just to see it and it went on for a good half an hour it was Mm. it was just absolutely beautiful if you can I don't know how you get a copy of it watch it on playback well we'll get John to to research it but it it does sound like that area over there um if it's where I'm thinking, I've been to a few gardens around there. They're known for their tropical fruit growing. There's a, a volcano close by. The soil is rich. It's humid. The They get cool weather. Oh, It's just an unbelievable microclimate for growing things. But Jess, mm. it sounds like a big tease to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you'd sit down, you wouldn't take your eyes off the TV oh. for that hour that was on because I, I couldn't believe the colours that they were having in the new flowers that are coming in and uh, oh, just everything else, the shapes that they have in all these melons. That yes. One was shaped like a, a swan, you know, in a display. It was just yes. melons growing off, you know. Oh, unreal. Yes. Mm. That sounds like anyway. the gourds. I know. I, I get inspired and I buy seeds and I plant things. I just want them all. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, that was another thing when you mentioned that seed. Tomatoes, they went from deep red to deep green and they had a, like, it's a fair sort of thing and there was 34 different, I think it was 34 oh. different to be sampling wow. and people giving their opinion of them and uh, you know as far as our red tomato you know you don't grow and buy green tomatoes in a shop or anything some of these were green and some were purple and the flavors and people that were tasting them and they couldn't believe them themselves you know they had a whole uh, mm. counter along where you tasted these uh, tomatoes and they were selling, saying that, you know, we've got to look further around for the sale of these tomatoes because they're just so tasty. Mm. Yes, I, I agree. The old-fashioned varieties, um, 
Yeah, and right. and teaching the kids there's more out there, or adults for that matter. Exactly. That look, there are more than just red tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. Yeah, you wet our appetites. Thank you, love. <laughs> Try and see if you can track it down. You'll we enjoy will. it, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you Appreciate very much that. for that. Cheers for that. And Daniel, talking about colours in the garden, because Mm. one of the things that I think of when I think of a tropical style garden, and I, you know, when I say tropical style, I mean something that we can create here in Perth. Doesn't mean you have to pour loads of water onto it to have a lush look, but we can get lots of colours in the garden with foliage. Yeah, there still is a lot of foliage plants, but again, it comes down to layering. Got to get the top layer in. And then once you've got that top layer, then all the colour gets easier and easier and easier as you go along. Obviously, like some colour plants are still a bit tricky in the sun over here. But once you've got the layer in, it's easy. They all can, they can take the warmth and all that. It's just, yeah, perf gets hot. That's the problem. How many different types of cordylines do you think you might have? Oh, there's a lot there. Just mm. probably, you know, 15, 20 on the wow. floor at a time but then there's probably more in the back that you know just stock plants lying around randomly we'll still do you <laughs> just know. lying around yeah, yeah, yeah. Just randomly you'll still do you know the things maybe on the floor in the retail there's probably only about 10 at the moment you know well, but yeah what would be your favorites do you think and what colors are they um out of all the core lines i like the bigger forms mm. uh, they're not always suitable for everyone but Probably the, my favourite for just generic is just Coraline Ruby, plain and simple, because yeah. it does put on a good show. Um, and Dark Red's pretty good too. That's good for like everyday small garden use. If you've got a bit more room, then there's um, things like Coraline, like New Guinea and stuff like that that are really nice. And they're the bigger forms. What, what's nice about them? New Guinea's like a yellowy type striped one, but then it throws a real like, pink flush wow. to the middle. It's actually it's quite nice. Um, and it grows big. It's the bigger forms, you know. Even things like pink diamond and all that, they can take a bit more sun as well, a lot of these varieties. So like if you go to Queensland, you'll see them sitting in the full sun every every day when you're mm. over there. But so but we still need to have the canopy here to take the afternoon heat off or something like that. They can still cop all morning heat, no worries at all. So or you late afternoon. Start them off in a pot around your patio or yeah. indoor plant, grow them up, wait yeah. for your palms to get up there. Yeah, if you want to um get going sooner. Definitely. Or you just got to be a bit more strategic with your um, shadowing from your house or your fences. There might be areas you can utilise right from the start. But, you know, that, that back row on your back fence normally is in that spot. Mm. You know, some people got these monstrous walls in the backyard and they go, oh, this is terrible. This is like the best thing ever because you're getting shadowing so much earlier, you know. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, it all depends on, you know, what you got. And, of course, in if they're in pots, you can move them around the garden to see where they're happy. Well, yeah, and that's right. And a lot of them will be fine if it's on the edge of your patio where the sun hooks in. That's normally fine, you know, and that's a good way of getting colour easily because the colour's not just like for a few weeks. It hangs around, you know. And, yeah, and that's where the costas gingers come in too. The flowering's normally a lot longer than mm. most other tropical plants. So that's also a bonus as well. So that's another good thing, especially Red Tower, as you know. Oh, yeah. I know. Exactly. Yeah. We're getting a year out of that. God, yeah, wow. that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, that's the, the longest of the whole lot. Yeah, it's all right. 94841927, back shortly. Curtain Radio. Okay, you are listening to Let's Talk Gardening. 24 minutes after nine. That's what happens when we get busy in our breaks. Earphones on, everyone. I was on. Earphones on. I was on. I was on. Okay. All right. Where to next, young lady? Ah, Another email that came through this week, and this is 
Jackie from Ocean Reef. And first of all, she sent in a photo of a plant that was given to her. It's uh, probably about a metre tall and it was starting to send up a flower spike. And today she sent us another one. The flower has opened (laughs) and it's a, a lovely canna. So these... Cannas are amazing plants. They're great fillers for yeah. tropical gardens. And they're sun tolerant. That's a good thing. Yes. And they're water tolerant. They so are. you can sit them in a pond. So yeah. dry or wet, uh, great fillers. And yeah. the the flower colours are just amazing. You can get dwarf forms. You can have them two metres tall, yeah. reds, yellows, apricot, pinks. There's so just, many now. And the leaf colours. They're yeah. another one, aren't they, for foliage colour, Daniel? They're good Daniel. for foliage colour for the um, high heat areas. And especially people that want to get it now, 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 they can go in now. That's the good thing about them. And they can Except do the they, they are susceptible to being eaten by things. I find are my they? leaves, my, yeah, my leaves always often come up with holes in them and things. Yeah, if they're super dense, a lot of things are like to eat them, hide in there. Yeah. So you do need to be wary of that. It's just a bit of maintenance. So you've got to keep an eye on them. Uh, I think the, the key to them is to cut them back after winter. Yep. So they come up fresh now. That's the whole point. Because a lot of people go, oh, mine are really tattery. Just cut them to the floor mm. and then come and, up again. And you can still do that now. You can still you do can it now. No worries them at all. Or cut them down. And yeah. the first year they sleep. Yeah. Uh, the second year they creep and then they leap. So they they can be fillers. And if they're in an open spot, you can just take to them with the lawnmower and cut them down. Yeah, you can be pretty rough with them. Mm. That's for sure. And they'll bounce back. They will. And here's another one that bounces back. Uh, this has come in by a text, and we've been asked to identify this plant. Is it a weed? It is spreading in my native verge garden. Yes, I'm afraid it is a weed. It looks like a, a spurge that takes over and covers the ground. It's very flat on the ground uh, and, and almost goes unnoticed because it kind of camouflages with the verge. So unless you're down there and you're looking closely, you might miss it before it takes over a big spot. So the sooner you get weeds out um, before they seed, the better off you'll be, which is why mulch is great. It smothers a lot of sins. That's right. Yes, indeed. Okay, we do have free lines, 94841927. Linda Michener in the studio from Green Life Soil Co. And Dan- Daniel Verischetti from Coast Road Palms. So we've got all, all angles covered. What what else can we talk about? What what would you guys like to talk about? <laughs> Watering or yeah. being sustainable or what what's your tips? Well, yeah, it's always watering in Perth, isn't it? It's such a sensitive kind of topic for it us. It sure is. Yeah. We've got don't have enough. We've got too much. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, well, waterlogging. Yeah, in some areas for sure, yeah. but for most of us, it's not so. So yeah, coming into this time of year, I just can't really emphasise enough that it is definitely time to get mulch on your gardens. It makes such a difference, and if you do have hydrophobic soils, yeah. a good quality soil wetter. Um, I know people are tempted to throw a bit of detergent around, but it's really not, not the, the best same. thing for the soil. Mm, no, mm. It, it does have a detrimental effect on the yeah. soil microbes. Mm. So you get what you pay for. Get yeah. a good quality soil wetter that has like the fulvic and humic acids in there because they build the soil um, profile and put that on and then mulch. And So what do you find the best, Linda, a liquid or a granular? I think both have their place, okay. yeah, for sure. You in, know. So what place? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, liquids, I guess, are faster acting. They can be faster acting. And if that's the way that, you know, you want to um, see what is happening literally in front of your eyes, then one of the, you know, the hose-on ones or ones that you mix up in a watering can, you can see straight away. Uh, But if you prefer just to throw down a granular and leave it there to do its thing over a slightly longer period of time, um, as those granules come into contact with water, they'll kind of fizz up and, you know, start getting into the soil. Uh, But that will happen under mulch as well. So, yeah, it's different strokes for different folks. So I I guess um, something less time-consuming might be to sprinkle around the granules before it's going to rain and let nature do its work rather than stand out there and, and hose it on. And, of course, you can get in and under easier maybe with with granules than a hose on. Tell me about your charcoal product. Uh, Well, it's biochar, which is quite different to To charcoal. charcoal. Mm. Mm. So um, if people want to look into terra preta, which is was made in the Amazon thousands of years ago. And we tend to think that the Amazon basin is very fertile, but mm. actually because of the high rainfall, it's not so much that it's very leached. So years ago, they started to uh, burn timber and then cover up the fire pits and just leave it to smolder. Yeah. And this, the black earth or the terra preta that was produced does add fertility to the soil and 4,000 years later they're still digging up that in the soil because it's basically almost pure carbon so it's 98-99% pure carbon so it can't and won't continue to break down well in millennia perhaps but it acts very similar to compost in the soil in that it will hold on to nutrients and microbes will inhabit it, but they can't eat it because it's it's a very stable form of carbon in the soil. And if you were to look under a microscope, it's extremely uh, honeycomb-like, extremely porous. So it has a huge surface area for the particle sizes. So again, it can hold on to water, but the other beauty of it is it holds on to cations and anions, which is like the, the chemical of nutrients. Nutrients are a little like a magnet in some have a positive charge and some have a negative. So you mm. want to have something that can hold on to mm. uh, those elements in the soil so they stay there to be exchanged with the plant roots as, as and when they need it. So. We use the biochar a lot in our, our mixes because we love it. Um, it's when you say in your mixes, like people that come in and buy... Yeah, in our soil mixes yeah, yeah. that we produce yeah. uh, because it, we use clay in the mixes also. So yeah. the two work really well okay. combined to help with water holding. Mm. We find clay... Uh, sorry, the biochar actually helps even in heavier clay soils mm. because it opens up that tight, compacted structure that clay can have. So although you would think, well, it holds water, it still helps in that aeration and getting the air into the soil that the heavy clays do need. And um, the other advantage of it is is that this particular biochar that we have a source of uh, is quite acidic, which is something beneficial in a lot of areas of Perth which have high alkalinity, yes. particularly people near the coast with yes. the limestone soil. So, yes. And the benefit of that is it brings the pH down and buffers it and keeps it sort of at a manageable level, 
And the traditional way of doing that to our soils is adding sulfur. Yes. And the trouble with sulfur is it's a natural fungicide. Uh, so while yeah. it does bring the pH down, it does affect the natural fungi in the soil. Yes. Whereas the biochar actually promotes the microbial life. So so love we it. love it. We, love we really it. like it as Thank a product. Thank you for that explanation. That's mm. wonderful. So, and it's it. a little different from average charcoal because it's mm. produced in an environment that doesn't let the oxygen escape. It concentrates the oxygen. It's it's burnt at a high stable temperature for a very long period of time, uh, and that's why it's slightly chemically different from charcoal, which is still good to use in your garden. Mm. But it's it's yeah, it is a different thing. Different thing altogether. All right. Let's thank you for that. Let's go to safety bay. Tanya. Good morning. Good morning, ladies. Love your show. Thanks, Tanya. value here again. I just want to know, I'm having trouble with my front section of lawn. Um, it's actually getting dry very quickly and it's not looking too flash. I, I have been watching it. I did fertilise it about two months ago, but it's it's on the slope as well. So I'm just wondering what I can put on it to help it retain the moisture and, and feed it and that sort of stuff. Well, I would think uh, a wetting agent, Tanya, but you will be battling with it being on a slope. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's struggling now, oh, I'm, I'm concerned for you going through summer. I think many of us have to rethink some of our practices in our garden. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, we need to survive through summer and yeah. lawns are great, but I think maybe we need to have them in the right places. Is it? Out the front, yes. on a verge. Yeah, yes, okay. it's quite, quite. It goes just about up to the house. Yeah. Okay. Well, start with your wedding agents, Tanya. But when yes. you're out there working with it, just start to entertain the thought about how you could change or improve the area. Without, yeah. Without lawn, maybe something that's going to give you. As much or more pleasure, something that yeah. suits the use. Uh, yeah. You might be able to bring birds in. You might be able to put a pathway through. You might be able to halve your lawn area. You might be able to create a more beautiful area that will enhance your home and add value and create yeah. habitat without the stress of working with lawn on a slope. Yeah. Because there's nothing apart from wetting agent that you suggest I put on it. Do I put some mulch on it? Or And I also thought to ask you cut the lawn. Can you leave the lawn clippings on it? You can do, yes. Yep. You can mow without a catcher. That's definitely... Would that, would that actually help fill the whole, um, keep the moisture in? Yeah, it does. Because if if you cut regularly... Uh, little and often and you leave the clippings on that's the best way to go because all of the nutrients that the plant's been producing to produce that leaf if you're taking that away yeah. the plant's got to try and struggle to replace that nutrient to get the chlorophyll to photosynthesize to grow so by keeping the thin layer of clippings on top that will break down very quickly and those nutrients are re-released back into the soil so it, it again closes the loop and keeps the nutrients there so yes that is recommended but don't let your lawn grow too long and cut masses of it and leave thick layers because the oh, thick okay. the thick clippings are just going to get too hot and you'll kill your lawn. Yeah. Oh, but okay. also maybe 
raise the height on the mower slightly so your lawn is a little bit longer. Yes. Okay. Now, with the wetting agent, can can I put a fertiliser on the lawn now which has got a wetting agent in it? I think there are some available. There are, definitely. And the other thing is too, just it's we see it a lot that so many lawns go down with inadequate prep and it, it frustrates the heck out of us, quite frankly, because <laughs> people come to see us and try and fix it and it's always harder in retrospect. But if you've got areas out the front that perhaps have been parked on and things, that compaction is often a problem to get the water in as well if it's on a verge. So if you've got areas that are particularly hydrophobic, try and go over them with something like a pitchfork possibly just to sort of loosen up and put a few holes in before you use your soil wetter because that will allow it to penetrate a little bit deeper into the soil into the root zone which is where it's going to do the most good if we're talking about soil wetter the granulated um i have to use that one because i can't use i can't carry a water can around with um, the liquid watering agent so can i use something can I use a granulated working agent? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Or you can look for the click-on packs exactly. that, that will go on the end yeah. of your hose it's and that easy. way you can I, fertilise. And... I can't carry the container around. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, thank you for that. Now, I heard the lady a little bit earlier on talking about covers for veggie gardens. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just thought I might let you know that I make my own, actually, and it's actually made from fencing wire and the squares of the actual fencing wire is two inches by three inches and I, I actually get it from the um, drop and shop rubbish tip, this wire, and I make a dome. Brilliant. Excellent. That's excellent. I, I with this wire and it's about three feet wide and depending on where I want it to cover it, some of the areas, of, the, the length of the wire is four foot, five foot, and forms like a dome, and I get the green, you know, the green tire wire that you can buy in Bunnings. Yep. In the, yeah. And I thread that through a shape, um, shape cloth, which I put over it, and that actually secures it to the fence, to the fencing wire. Fantastic, great idea. Uh, yeah, and in and because it's movable, right? I use it to protect the garden if I'm going to have hail and all that sort of stuff. I put them on young seedlings. And at the moment, I've actually got those two wires standing upright and secured with big tent pegs to protect my sweet corn from the wind. Great. <laughs> You're very ingenious, Tanya. <laughs> Thank you. Take All care. Right. Thanks, Tanya. Any, anyone who would like to can easily, easily make it yourself. Yes. Right. Sure. Thank, Thank you, love. You. Cheers for that. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay, we're heading to Butler. We're chatting with Chris. Good morning. Morning, Good morning Chris. Ladies. Good morning. How are you today? Yes, Very good, good, thank you. I have a question. I do a little bit of uh, woodworking at home and I end up with um, wood shavings. I've just started a, um, a hedge of lily pilly out the front. Can I use that as a, um, a, a surface to hold the moisture in? Uh it depends on what wood you're working with, Chris. Some will or, break or down very well. Pine. Is it treated pine? No. No? That would be no, fine. I make my own bird cages, so I can't use treated pine. Okay. No, I, that would be fine, but I would. I don't know that I would put it... We, I would use it 
as pathways more than anything, not not so much as mulch because it will be fine. But I mean, it's about a one and a half mil thick. It's actually a shaving, not a not a, not sawdust. a sawdust. Okay, so if no. it's larger shavings, because that's what yeah. Faye was getting at, you just mm. don't want the fine particles to meld together and because and, that will actually stop water penetrating. Mm. But if it's larger shavings, that's not so bad. And and they will yeah, break down. Mm. Yep, well, yes, you can put it on, on the garden. So I wouldn't have to let it, it'll eventually rot down in... Correct, yes. Yeah. Yep. And also, um, with the hedge that I'm, I'm making out the front with lily pillies, what is the safe distance to put the uh, lily pillies apart? Which variety of lily pilly are they? Well, I, I, I'm not familiar with the different varieties, but um, they are, um, we've made them into uh, domes and they easily easily to shape. For sure. Mm, well, I I would have a look at the label and see what they're they're recommending. No, the dome, pardon. These lily pillies are homegrown. Okay, and the large ones you've got, how tall and how wide had they wanted to grow? They're very large variety because I've got one that's about four meters and four meters tall, about a meter and a half across. So that. If it's that variety, you could probably plant them about two metres apart or closer together if you wanted them to meet up quicker rather than later. Yeah, I'm preferring that they meet up quicker. I guess if they were homegrown, what was the parent tree like? Was that a large, larger variety? Do you, did you propagate them yourself? They've all been propagated, yes. Okay. I mean, the th- the thing is, there are tiny trev varieties that are only going yeah. to to get to about fifty centimeters across, compared to another one which might be two meters across. Yeah. So depends on the variety. It yeah. very much depends on the variety. <clears throat> yeah. We've got to go to a break, Chris. Yeah, okay then. Thanks. All for right. Your time. Thanks for your call. Cheers for that. Okay, we've got about 18 minutes left of the show, 94841927. Thank you for your company this morning. This is Let's Talk Gardening. 10am will be Jim Crinan with the classic 70-something to look forward to. Special guests in the studio, Daniel Verichetti and... Linda Michener from Green Life Soil and Co. And, of course, Daniel's from Coast Road Pumps. And we were just speaking off air to you, Daniel. What should we be doing now? Go. Yeah, what should we do now? Well, everything's growing, so yeah. time to do some maintenance and stuff. Like we told me before, like the canners, like deadheading out ones that are flowered. Gingers and halicones are the same. Some varieties like Red Christmas and stuff would have already flowered, done their thing. Those stems will look like rubbish now. Mm. The flowers should be finished. You'll be cutting all that sort Cut of stuff. Cut that off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things like cycads and that, um, if you've got real thick, heavy growth, it does pay like revolution to prune some of the lower growth off to prevent things like scale from building up and you know, remove any of that sort of material because that is something that will build up if you've got everything really, really tight. Um, or you can be doing propagation in cord lines now if you want to or just plain and simply pruning them back to make a multi-head. That's probably more important than, than anything now. Even things like dracaenas and stuff like that, should we give them a cut to get more growth? Um, that's maintenance type stuff now. Things do grow back pretty quick, so you can give things a little bit of a haircut now. 
So that's always a good thing. Feeding, mulching. Fe- feeding, mulching, back to what we've been talking about earlier today, of course. Checking water. Check your retic, yeah, check your retic. And, and I think the main thing to check is hydrophobic soils because a lot of plants like bamboos, this this one we see a lot this time of year, the hedges are in really thick and full. Rainfall has been landing all through winter but not penetrating the ground and the soils have gone hydrophobic. Make sure that the, the soil is taking the moisture in when you turn your retic on because the first few hot days, they'll drop all the leaves and you'll be like, what is going on here? Even though your retic might be working, the soil's just all water repellent. So, make, so check that especially like hedging plants, I think in general must have the same issue. But yeah, make sure that it is penetrating underneath that layer. Yeah. Especially about leaf build-up and stuff like that. Can Perth gardeners achieve a tropical-style garden garden on two waterings a week? Yeah, as long as the layering's done correctly and the soil is built up to go with it. If the soil's drying out in, a, in an hour, well, you're going to be struggling the whole way through. If the soil's all built up, then yeah, you know, it's... It, yeah, around Perth as well, it tends to get easier the closer to the river you get. And, you know, it's cooler, you know, obviously out where we are, it's, it's warmer, you know. So you do need to keep that in mind as well. But, yeah, it's all about soil prep. If, if the soil's drying out, you've got no chance of getting them through on the two days. All about the soil. Yep. yep. Key message. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> all right. Okay, well, we're going to talk about, ooh, hepiastrum seeds and a jacaranda tree. We're in Pinjarra. Jill, good morning. Hi, it's Jill from Mandra, and I, ah. I think we've met before. Yes, we have. Oh. How, how's George? Very well, yes, oh. going very well, yep. Good yep. to hear. Not not as active as he used to be, but he's, he's still going. That's yep. okay. I've been out in the garden and collected some hippiastrum seeds and just wondering how we should best uh, germinate them and when, you know, when and how. Or, <laughs> or, or is it not possible? <laughs> Do you know this is something I... I haven't done, Ray. Yeah, I've Ray. never done it. No, I've never no. done it either. <laughs> no. We're right. We're, I, I'm going to handball this one to John and see what research he can come up with, Jill. I know it can be done, but I, okay. we'll get you some more tips from John. And did you have another question as well? Oh, I did about the my jacaranda has only flowered. Two, I have two flowers this year, very exciting. Um, mm-hmm. It's been in the ground for a long time. It's very tall. I just wonder what do I need to do, kick it or shake it or, or wake it up somehow to oh. get a few more flowers on it? Wait, get George out there with the axe. <laughs> there was, that, there was that thing about hitting the jacaranda yeah. trees with a chain and breaking some of the bark. <laughs> yes, yes, that's that's one of the things. Be careful you don't be, behead it. But the fact oh, you've, you have got a couple of uh, flowers this year, I think it will will just continue to mature. I think it's probably just a matter of time. Yeah, good. I live in hope. Yes, yes. We've got to have something to look forward to, don't we, Jill? We sure do. We sure do. <laughs> and what colour are, you, are your hippies, Jill? Oh, they're, they're traditional. The cream centres with the red red outsides. Mm-hmm. I, I had actually wondered whether they had been self-sowing into the ground because I'm quite sure I didn't have that many of them to begin with. They were originally in a pot and I've spread them out through the front garden, but I feel as though I've got more than I ever started off with. Oh, definitely. Mm. Germinated naturally, but um, I have a friend who's very interested in in propagating them, and so we went and collected all the seeds, and then, of course, the question is, well, what do we do? (laughs) What do we do next? Okay. timing. All right, well, we will find out. It may not be today at all probably be more likely next week that we'll be able to okay. cover this for you. Good, good. Thank All right. you very much. Thanks for your Good call, soon. Jill.
Cheers for that. Okay, you've got about 10 minutes if you want to speak to Faye, Linda and Daniel, 94841927. Back in a moment. Curtain Radio. Welcome back to Let's Talk Gardening. We're going straight out to the lines. We're in Mundaring. Margaret, good morning. Oh, good morning, everybody. Morning. Uh, Faye, I saw the ABC Gardening last night and I was very surprised. But yes. pleased to hear for the first time in my life that we do a summer prune on our grapevines. Yes. And take our growth off the stems where the grapes are growing so that the plant's going to put energy into the grapes and no more growth. We do have to remove the majority of leaves because when our cyclones start, we're going to get powdery mildew amongst the because the foliage is quite thick right yes and uh in the past i've just peeled off all the big leaves but um this summer pruning i've never heard of before and it said take off at least a third especially take off the growth that where the grapes have not grown and um, it would significantly um, reduce your foliage. It's not going to reduce your shade, really, because they're so um, good for shade plants. Yes, and I haven't, I haven't called it summer pruning before, but I know we did talk about this last year when it happened, where the, the grapevines put on all this extra growth, and I mm. have talked about thinning it out so there's more airflow, Yes. And yes, he was cutting back to three leaves above a bunch of grapes. Now, that's right, Margaret. We've got thirty-five degree heat coming. I would yes. be mindful of leaving, maybe even a little bit more to to stop what's below burning. Yes. Because if we cut yes. back too much on a day like today, oh, no. there's a, there's a very good chance no. that we will scorch the fruit. Yeah. But, well, I don't generally prune. On the top, I always leave my shade, mm. but you need to leave. You need to thin out underneath to stop the moisture, and which produces the powdery mildew. Because we Correct. get lots of you yes. get lots of calls later. Yep, yep for sure. Powdery mildew, and people can do such a lot to stop it mm. in the first place because it it just it it stains the grapes. Yes, but the other thing I would also get ready uh, is pruning to be able to get your nets on. So a nice fine net that will yeah. keep the birds out is very yeah. important. So, yeah, getting your grapevines ready now, yeah, uh, thinning them out, getting rid of that whippy growth, giving them a cut back and yeah. getting ready to put your nets on. Yeah, because the grapes are basically all formed now, so we know oh. where they're going to grow, don't yes. we? Yes, and my goodness, they are abundant this year. Mm. The, the rain we've had is just phenomenal. Now we've yeah. just, you know, dare I say, got to keep the water up to them yeah. so that they can uh, complete their cycle. Well, yeah. thanks very much for that call, Margaret. Appreciate sure. it. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Cheers for that. Thanks, Margaret. And just quickly, um, John Glidden has been uh, our researcher and volunteer here at the radio station for, oh, gosh, 
I'm not even sure how many years. He was introduced to us through another volunteer at Curtain Radio called Derek Jacquet. And Derek worked with us for a number of years back to the days of when Matt Lum was uh, in your chair, uh, Faye. And we found we heard that Derek um, passed away yesterday. So I wanted to mention that, send our condolences to his family. It's all a bit of a shock. And, um, yeah, all of our sympathy from everyone here at Curtain FM. Uh, Derek, fondly remembered as one of the Curtain uh, FM volunteers here for uh, Let's Talk Gardening. Oh, that's, that on. is a shame. Yes. All good things must come to an end, I guess. Evidently, yes. Mm. Okay. Now, John has given us some information about planting here piastrum seeds, so bear with me as I whiz through this. They look very similar to daylilies in shape, but their size is much larger and the seeds are flat and papery. The seeds can be grown any time of the year using the flotation method. This is easily done by getting a clear container to add in water and place the seeds so they float on top, allowing them to sprout. The seeds must be kept apart while floating on the water. It doesn't take long and you should see some small roots emerging from the floating seeds. This is when you can plant the seeds into a pot with well-drained damp soil by only the roots in the soil with the papery part of the seed sitting flat on top of the soil. As you notice, the seeds germinate. Place a plastic bag over the top for some humidity. You could also use a drink bottle, uh, but not too tight. After more leaves appear, take the plastic bag or container off, expose the seedlings to more air and light very slowly. The seedlings must be kept moist at all times. In time, you can move the seedlings outside. And the other method is to place the seeds directly on top of damp potting mix. So there you go, Jill. A couple of easy ways for you to have... Ray, don't screw your face up. Oh, who, who, who's going to remember that? That's easy. You just don't you have the picture in your mind? No, I no. Do not. Well, I, I'm well, going to suggest listen. that they go to our podcast uh, on curtainfm.com.au. We have a Let's Talk Gardening podcast. You simply go to the homepage, click on programs, down to Let's Talk Gardening, and away you go. That's what I would be doing, Jill, if I were you, at uh, 10 to 10. Give you a bit of an idea. And Karen has sent us in a photo of her garden. Karen, it looks beautiful. I can see uh, a golden cane and maybe a ponytail in here. Triangle. There's strelitzia. Yep, yep. triangle So palm. knock it off, girl. There's Cardboard, nothing going on with your garden. <laughs> yeah, it looks yeah. amazing. Do you know all I would do? I don't think the geranium fits there. I would probably take yeah. that out. I would get in. I would tidy up the base of the plants. Um, deadhead any little daggy bits on the strelitzia. The palms look good. I would make a little well around them. I would uh, tidy up the spider plants, add some mulch, throw on some fertiliser and stand back in hand water. And you've got so many layers there. Oh, I would probably add a ripsalis or two to the triangle part. Well, then we can start loading up the trunks, can't you? Oh, that. that's yeah. right. <laughs> Stay tuned, Karen. <laughs> Do you have ripsalis as well? Not a lot for sale, but it's everyone... As you guys probably know, Dad collects a lot of it, He's so we've a got a lot personally here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. 
Thank you for coming in this morning. No worries at all. And uh, we won't see you till next year, obviously. No. So wishing you and yours a wonderful Christmas. Thank you very much. And, and you guys too. And also to you, Linda, thanks Thank for you. trekking in. Because you've got a long drive, haven't you, to get here well, in the morning. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And you're heading back to work now, both of you? Oh, will yeah. be. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always exciting working. Always. All right. And uh, my inspiration quote for today is, like wildflowers, you must allow yourself to grow in all the places people thought you never would. And I'm not talking about your thighs, girls. <laughs> all right. And my gardenism is, all the flowers of all the tomorrows are in the seeds of today. Okay. Aww. Thank you, Faye Caro. Thank you, Bev and John Glidden. Uh, I think our work is done. Jim Crinan is next with the Classic 70s. Have fun, everyone, and happy gardening. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.